Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. You know it is a Saturday night instant reaction show. If I do not have the full yelling capacity that is possible, I am not in a hotel room, but I am beside a sleeping infant. And so we're doing the best that we can to be able to bring you that same enthusiasm. Barton Simmons, Tom Fernelli, gentlemen, it wasn't a heavy slate. It was not the September 5th. Uh, I guess now six that we are starting to record here at uh, 12.03 a.m. on the East Coast. N- not the opening weekend that was originally scheduled when we started to look at the uh, the slate back in the early parts of the summer, but it was a full weekend of college football. Before we start to get into uh, Memphis, Arkansas State, before we start to get into some of the rest of Saturday action, the Thursday action, how, how did it feel? What was our experience? I mean, I know some of the listeners were probably feeling the same way, you know, just like maybe a little bit cautious approaching the weekend, not quite sure how to, how to dive in. What was, what was y'all's first college football weekend experience here in 2020? I would prefer Barton goes first. <laughs> well, first of all, just like it made me happy to hear the locks jingle, uh, just like it made me happy to hear camp buzz it's it's a great feeling to hear the um, the excited and welcome back, but just quiet enough. They don't wake up anybody in the household late at night. Uh, that's a good that that means we're in game week. Uh, that's a good feeling. Uh, as for the as for the the day of uh, action for me, it was uh, you know there's some distractions. You know I I wasn't I couldn't totally sort of partition myself off from the family. On this day, I couldn't just claim it as a work day completely because I just couldn't with a straight face be like, babe, I got I got to watch every snap of this Army MTSU game. <laughs> um, but I, I did get a little taste, which was enough to, to um, get me excited for next weekend. Yeah, it was I mean, it was good to have football back, but it doesn't feel like a real Saturday yet to me. And I, it's it's not that, you know, there obviously there were plenty of games, but it's just, you know, we're so used to opening weekend. Like today was supposed to be like the day that we had USC and Alabama playing. Right. There's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of big yeah. games. I'm supposed to wake up early and have like crappy Big Ten games in the early window that I could just kind of ease into the day with. And that wasn't there that was missing and it's nothing against like middle tennessee and army or that the marshall game against um i can't even remember eastern, eastern kentucky. kentucky yeah yeah it's like so when when the season start or the first saturday of the season starts with those games and it, maybe it was just the fact that you know it was what 59 to nothing and 42 to nothing it was kind of hard to get like really too excited. Even watching Army do the thing Army does, where it's putting together like fifteen play, ninety-five yard drives that are taking nine minutes off the clock. That that warms the soul. But it's just it feel it, it felt like a preseason Saturday, and I hope that doesn't sound offensive to the teams who played. But that's just the way it felt. The rhythm of the day was thrown off by the fact that those early games were blowouts, without a yeah. doubt, like that. That was a little bit of uh, a disconcerting sort of start, but and and we'll get into some of the other surprises in a little bit. But 
uh, I believe that we should we should really start with like um, fight, fight. I think fight, <laughs> fight. I think I think we get to celebrate a lock fight win here as we uh, as we did end up going under the number of seventy four. Memphis wins thirty seven to twenty four against Arkansas State. Several surprises here for me. Number one, thought Arkansas State played with a lot of fight in this game. Um, you know, second half things did not go their way whatsoever. The uh, the way the the game unfolded, sort of Blake Anderson trotting out a couple quarterbacks. They had the surprise onside kick even uh, after they could have gone for it on fourth down following an interception. There was a a lot of interesting calls on either side. Uh, Barton, your boy Ryan Silverfield. How about the fake punt call where you're snapping it to your best defensive end and letting him run all the way? I thought that of the games, uh, we looked at Memphis-Arkansas State potentially as one of the most entertaining, and I think that of the games, and we'll get to Texas State and SMU here in a little bit, I I do think that it at least delivered on that because the game uh, had those moments where it looked like it was going to go off the rails and we could have a, a 45 to 42 or even like 52 to 45 kind of shootout on our hands. But then there were just enough mistakes and just enough like timely defensive stops and, uh, and questionable coaching decisions to be able to deliver an entertaining one. So uh, I guess as, as the, a fellow victor, in our under 74 outside of going under the total Tom, what'd you think of the, uh, what'd you think of the result? Uh, well, first of all, I really needed that win in the under there because it was, it was a bad day overall starting with, you know, middle Tennessee, not quite working as planned, but as for the game, it just, I, I think it's a good sign for Arkansas state and that they were able to do that. But my biggest takeaway from that is like, man, that Memphis defense has some problems and a lot of the same <laughs> problems that we saw last year that are like, okay. I mean, we know that the it's, it's like a Memphis team. That's just kind of what Memphis looked like. The offense, you never really had any concerns or doubts about, even after they got off to a slow start in the game. And then, you know, you, you look up and even though they, they, they didn't do anything in the fourth quarter or the first quarter, really for a large part, they still finished with over 500 yards of offense. So it's, it's like Memphis. It's going to be one of those situations where their offense is going to be good enough to beat everybody that they should beat. But just from what I see in this game, when they get into conference play and they're playing the Cincinnati's, the UCF's, the Houston's, the other teams that they're going to be competing with for that conference title, it's going to come down to can they get stops. And I didn't see a whole lot in that game, at least, to make me confident that they're going to be able to get those stops. And you were all over, Barton, the uh, the Mike McIntyre uh, <laughs> defensive coordinator hire here. Where, like, on one hand, you can promote the fact that you had, what was it, the 2016 National Coach of the Year or whatever. Like, you've right. got a former National Coach of the Year on your staff. But that Memphis defense was definitely suspect. Uh, what you would you think looking at the uh, the events in the Liberty Bowl? Yeah, we were we were text threading a little bit, and I was laughing about you know Mike McIntyre, <laughs> former coach of the year, but he has not he has not been anything but a, a decent defensive coordinator at any point in his career. Uh, so, but but I think that my like my biggest takeaway, like that was a. When you think about Memphis, you know, you think about uh, these just sort of these skill guys that think, you know, they get so much the ball to so many different players and uh, the fast paced offense. And that's really 
that's really not what they are. At least that's not what this team is. This team is like, like blue collar, physical downhill smash you sort of football. Like they, they want to run it at you. And then like, it was almost like the Brady white pass game was sort of the, the, the counter punch to that. Um, and so it was, it was a lot of, uh, I, I never felt good about the over, even, even when both teams like scored right away in the first drives, the, the nature of the drives were like sort of these methodical long drives. It's like, if we're going to get, if we're going to get, you know, uh, touchdown after touchdown with, you know, these six minute drives, like going 80 yards, like that's, that, that, I don't think that's going to cut it. So, um, I just think it's interesting that that's sort of what Memphis is. And, and I, and I wonder as that, as we spin it forward to like conference play, I think they'll like, they'll have to be a team that almost like, it feels like a UCF matchup there. Like UCF to me feels like they're going to have more speed and athleticism and Memphis is going to have, they're just going to try to be tougher than you to that. That oversimplifies it a little bit, but I don't know. That felt like what, what Memphis wants to be. And it makes sense. Silverfield's a, an offensive yeah. line coach. I was going to say, know? is that like <laughs> offensive line coach mentality where it's like all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you lose Kenneth Gainwell. And like that is supposed to be a massive loss. But you know what? So uh, Rodriguez, Clark, Kylan Watkins combined between the two of them, uh, 34 carries for 157 yards. That is some methodical stuff right there. Yeah. You know, like 20 carries for Clark, 14 for Watkins. Um, that's, now Watkins wants to be a little bit of that. Like he, you, you can see it in him. Like he's, he's trying to dance and find some, some creases and go, but, but Clark is like, he's coming at you. Like he's yeah. going downhill in your face. Yeah. And for whatever it's worth, like the concern about Memphis's run game after Gainwell steps down last year, Memphis averages 186.7 yards rushing per game, 4.7 yards per carry tonight. 227 yards, 4.7 yards per carry. So it seems like at least for, at least against Arkansas state, the run game still seems to be just fine. Yeah. So for, uh, Arkansas state looking ahead to the Sun Belt, this is a team that has run second to Billy Napier's Louisiana the last two years, the only years that they've had the Sun Belt championship game. One of those years they tied for the division title, but lost the head to head to Louisiana. I mean, you know, if, if I was to do Sunbelt power rankings because of the way the Sunbelt championship game has gone the last two years, it's it's App State 1, it's Louisiana 2 trying to jump App State, and then we've got Arkansas State hoping to jump Louisiana to be able to get a shot at App State. Did you see anything from uh, the Red Wolves uh, of Blake Anderson here, I guess in year 7 now? Since leaving uh, from being the offensive coordinator under Larry Fedora at North Carolina a while back, anything from Arkansas State, you know, the initial fight that you would say makes them interesting? And I asked this question not trying to give Arkansas State like a, a pat on the back. I asked this question with the same, you know, uh, interest and intrigue that you suggested, Barton, earlier this week, where it's like, look, there's only 76 teams. Like we we got it. We got to be able to dive into the Sun Belt title race and start to think about it. So, what do we think about Arkansas State? I, not just Arkansas State. I'm sure we'll get into this more as the show goes on. But I thought this was a pretty good weekend for the Sun Belt overall because Ooh. yes, Arkansas State lost this game, but you know, 
they they've been one of the better teams in the conference. So it's not a shock to see them competing with Memphis in this game, but they were big underdogs and they did at least cover the spread. The early game, Texas State was a huge underdog against SMU. It managed to stay within a touchdown. Thursday night, South Alabama was a big underdog to Southern Miss. It straight up beat Southern Miss. So if I'm looking at the Sun Belt so far, and obviously it's the first weekend of the season, they've played three games, but let's overreact. Let those overreactions fly. Let's go. Is the Sun Belt better than the Big 12? That's what I want to know. (laughs) What do you guys think? I mean, I've seen uh, so much more from the Sun Belt than I've seen from the Big 12 at this point. I'm going to say the Sun Belt's better at this point. The... Uh, Blake, so Blake Anderson has been there for seven. This is his seventh year, Chip. I'll, I'll pull that up just to double check it, but uh, I f- that feels like he left around fourteen, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so, um, oh, not the Blake Anderson that was in Workaholics. Okay, Blake Anderson that was, <laughs> yeah, 2014 season was his yeah. first. He did two years with Fedora. He was with Fedora at Southern Miss. And then he did two years with Fedora at North Carolina and took over Arkansas State in 2014. I mean, that's a good, I feel like that's a good win for, for Arkansas State to hang on to Blake Anderson for seven years. Probably going to be, we're probably going to get to eight because there's not going to be a whole lot of coaching carousel stuff. He's, he's been in the conference championship game, what they say on the broadcast, like five times. Uh, for the last five of the last nine years or something. Yeah. Uh, um, well, they so. didn't have a conference championship game before two years ago. He already has won uh, two conference championships and he's tied for a division title. I feel like, go ahead. I was going to say, he's been there for seven years and remember like before he took that job, it was a revolving door for a few seasons there. Like, yeah. Hugh Freeze had the job for one season. Gus Melzahn had the job for one season. Brian Harson comes in, has the job for one season. And That's then right. Blake Anderson takes it. So he was like their fourth coach in four seasons when he took over. And he's he's kind of, you know, he's still he's still kind of young, kind of square jawed, good looking guy. I mean that's that's a they 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 got lucky man keeping him around, and now that they're gonna get him another year or so. Uh, he's you got know, good coach face. That's right, that's right. So no, I, I think I think that they're uh, they look like a good team. That my problem with them was if those receivers could have made a few more plays. Yeah. It feels like they left some points on the board, and because because elsewhere I feel like they had played. It was a pretty valiant effort. I just I was just frustrated all night long with a couple a couple opportunities that uh, that the receiver even the even the really good one. Um, what was Nine's name? Um, Jonathan Adams. Yeah, I mean I, I feel like I mean he he made some plays, but he also left some out there. So uh, I, I I I still don't think that they're going to be able to hold up against. Billy Napier's crew, um, but but it's but yeah, like Tom said, I mean all, all those all those Sun Belt teams showed us something. Well, let's yeah, I, Adams Adams made that one play in the end zone where he made like a great adjustment on the ball in the air, but he couldn't pull it in at the end. It would have been it was a difficult catch to make. It would have been a spectacular catch if he did it, but like the move he made to adjust his body to the ball, you were like, oh, as he was doing it, but he couldn't pull it in. But just. Going to the game itself, the one moment that really kind of stood out to me as the turning point in the game was there was that fourth and four in the second half, and they decided to kick the field goal. And then they pulled the surprise onside kick afterwards. And my thought, and it didn't work, Memphis gets it. They go right down the field. They score. So pretty much Demonte Coxie catches it. Literally the best player mm-hmm. on, on Memphis is on the hands team mm-hmm. right. right there. And, and you kick right to him. 
And I couldn't help but think it's like if you're willing to take that risk right now with like that surprise move, you're trying to pull that off. Why not just go for it on fourth and four? Because statistically, you've got a better chance of getting the first down than you do of getting that onside kick, even with the element of surprise. So I thought that was one of those moments where it's like, I feel like that's kind of where they let the rope, rope slip. And that's where the game got away from them. When I saw that uh, onside kick, I immediately thought about when Arkansas State was playing, I think Miami and they did the fainting goat play. Do you know what I'm talking <laughs> about? My, I remember the play. Was it against Miami? Where the wide receiver just faints all of a sudden yeah. to be able to draw the entire <laughs> defense's attention to one side of the field, and then they run to the other side. Like Blake Anderson in the Arkansas State era has been – I don't know if he's hid a receiver the way that TCU will do sometimes during home games. Or not a receiver, hid the – what is it, a return man? Returner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you hide the return man in the Colorado end zone. Colorado State pulled that one off against Arkansas? I would – Oh, I, no, that was that was the just like like fake fair catch. The uh, Arkansas State has done the feigning goat for sure, and so some shenanigans and some trickery are absolutely in the, uh, in the Blake Anderson brand right there. But, I mean, why don't you run the feigning goat? on fourth down being all you need to do is get four yards right mm -hmm. yeah because i mean you've got a touchdown there helps you out a hell of a lot more than that field goal is going to even if you don't do the you know the, the surprise onside kick if you just kick off the way your defense has been playing memphis is probably going down the field to score anyway yeah true that Coming up on the other side, we'll take a look at SMU Texas State, the blowouts by Marshall and Army, and Thursday night action, including uh, UAB's win over the Barnstorming Central Arkansas and South Alabama as a double-digit underdog taking down Southern Miss. All that and more next. Majors down and one to go in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau overpowered his peers at the U.S. Open. Can he carry that into November for a fall edition of the Masters? We're chatting about that and more on the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We're in your feed week in and week out with tournament previews, picks, interviews, news, and analysis. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we give you daily fantasy plays, winning bets, and the hottest takes about Bryson, Phil, and Tiger. So what are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Brian Campbell, and along with Luke Thomas, we are the hosts of Morning Combat, your one-stop shop for all things combat sports. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we'll hit you up with a brand new episode looking at the biggest headlines in boxing, mixed martial arts, and so much more. That's not to mention bonus content every Tuesday and Thursday featuring interviews with the biggest names, dissected fight breakdowns, and even a little ridiculousness from time to time. We surely take the fight game seriously, but never ourselves, so why not give us a Try for all your combat needs before and after the big fights. It's Morning Combat. Download and subscribe today wherever you consume fine audio. So I had my, uh, I had, you know, cover some golf for CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ, CBSSportsHQ.com. Check it out. And so I had a 5 p.m. golf hit for the Tour Championship. Don't know if you guys knew but the PGA Tour season 
is wrapping up this weekend. The next season will start in two weeks. That's the way the PGA <laughs> Tour works. But, uh, you know, kind of big season. So I was like, all right, here's what I'll do. I'll watch the afternoon slate, switch over to golf for uh, the SMU-Texas State game, and then, you know, get back over for Memphis-Arkansas State. Because, listen, SMU beat Texas State by 30 last year, and they did it while having three turnovers. This is going to be no big deal. Shane Bouchelle is just going to cook – Texas State's defense is going to just underperform. I, I, I've got my whole day planned out. Whoa, big day thrown out the window. Listen, we're seeing bogeys at East Lake down in Atlanta, and I've got to ignore them because Jake Spavital has the boys fired up. They are not messing around in San Marcos. They are not being hospitable hosts. They are bringing the fight to SMU. SMU does end up holding on. SMU does end up winning in the game. But, uh, Tom, as you mentioned earlier, if if you're to take a, a look at today from the Sunbelt League office, you are a little bit happy, and some of that comes from the competitiveness that you saw from this Texas State team. So, the like, to, to take it from the perspective of someone who's, like, in our seat or listening to this podcast and being like, all right, so, you know, how much do we take a seven point loss as SMU and how much do we take a seven point loss as Texas state? How are you feeling coming out of this game? Well, first of all, I'm well aware of the PGA championship as I'm holding a 22 to one ticket on Rory McIlroy to win it. And he had a very disappointing round in my estimation today, but it as was for what, this a game, 71, it was one over 71. Yeah. He, he's just not he, keeping pace right now. It was a tough no. day at East Lake. I'm telling you, there were bogeys all over the place. <laughs> And I needed pars, baby. I needed I needed birdies. I needed to make up some ground. I'm holding twenty two to one here. But, um, <laughs> I listen. This was a sloppy performance from SMU, and it, but at the same time, it was a sloppy performance from Texas State, and they were still able to hang in the game. Like Texas State had two turnovers, SMU had three turnovers. Shane Bouchel looked like, and this is going to be something that we're probably going to see a lot of early in the season, especially. Looked like a quarterback who hadn't really had a lot of time to prepare and practice and get all that kind of stuff because he was making throws that were just, you know, like what you're like, you've been in college for 15 years now, Shane. You should not <laughs> be making throws like that anymore. But he was. There was the one pick he threw to the right sideline where he was a good three or four seconds too late. Like the defensive back didn't re like. The DB jumped the throw, but the DB had to wait to jump the throw because he was waiting for the throw to come for that long. Like he had to pause because he didn't want to give it away and possibly get Shane Bouchel not to throw it. So it, it was just it was it was not a very sharp performance. It was not a performance where I feel like SMU, even though they had 544 yards of offense, I don't think they're going to be going, you know, watching the film in a couple of days thinking, yeah, we played well. It was a very on SMU bike performance for me because this is a team that I have ready to compete in the AAC for an AAC title and they did not look like a team that is going to be doing that this year for me in that first game and on Texas State side you know I I, I took some Texas State locks last year because I was I was a Jake Spavital guy I liked what they were doing and I think that this is a program that I mean listen Texas State has been a bottom 25 linchpin for the last few years. It is a team that I am very much familiar with, but this looked like a team that I'm not going to say is on the process or on the, on the precipice of becoming like a top team in the Sun Belt, but it does look like a team that is very much capable of getting out of bottom 25 land this year. And I think that for this program, that's a big step forward. 
Yeah, this is where I think the playing versus not playing can have a financial impact on people's futures because Jake Spavital is, if he can get Texas State playing, because like, I, I, I thought that was a very competent performance by Texas State. Like, yes, there was sloppy at times, but like that looked like a competent football team. And if he can make, if he can have them competitive all year long, and that's why I was saying earlier in the year, if I was like a group of five coach, I'd, I'd schedule them all. Like, we'll get our ass beat. Like, but let, just schedule them all. Give us as many games as we can. So it's 76 teams playing. So it's so many, so many real estate out there. Like, we're going to get eyeballs. And Texas State and Jake Spavital are going to get eyeballs this year. And if he can keep on putting together performances like that, he's going to be – he's in year two. He's young. He's got a bunch of big name quarterbacks. He can he they, they, they compare Brady McBride to Johnny Manziel, uh, <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. you know, like like first drive. You know, Jake Spavadol can go on c- comparing people to J- Johnny Manziel and all for, for the rest, for of, the rest of his career. Of his life. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's got that up his sleeve. And so <laughs> I, I mean, this guy's got an opportunity, I think, to really make some money this year because people are going to be watching him because because I was like stoked to watch Texas State SMU. And you know what? I, in most circumstances, that would have been a lot lower on my register. So we did. Johnny out with the Browns, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, so of note, Reggie, Reggie Roberson did not come back from the game, right? After he left? Uh, he finished with six catches and 99 yards and a touchdown. Okay. So he came back. By the way, Ulysses Bentley, that's a fun looking guy. He only he only got he's like a he's like a change of pace back. He only had like eleven carries for forty nine yards, but he has some moves on him. He's got he's got some good, you know, change of direction. He he was fun to watch run the football. Uh the I I was not an SMU believer from the start. I'm gonna have to go back and, and dig in a little bit more. I, I jumped in on the game late as SMU was trying to defend its lead, but I feel like the, I feel like there's a lot to take away for, for Texas state here. And and like you mentioned, Tom, not a ton to take away maybe from the SMU side, right? They got, I mean, they got to be better with the football. That's really, there was a period there in the second half where both teams were just kind of handing the ball back and forth. I think there were fumbles on three straight plays, but it's just, Shane Bichelle was a little too loose with the ball throwing wise. There was a couple fumbles. They just, that team, you're not going to be able to be that loose with the ball and have any real hope of winning your conference. Okay. I've got nothing from the Marshall Eastern Kentucky game. And <laughs> I, I mean, that was a miss. That was a missed opportunity on the locks. Just to throw it on Marshall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just Eastern Kentucky's, I mean, that's first year coach who inherited a program that's, not been successful against Doc Holiday. <laughs> yeah, like of course they're gonna blow him out. Yeah, that's I didn't didn't get a chance to watch much. Um, I was mostly dialed into Army Middle Tennessee, it, a game in which several things happened. Number one, it looks like Middle Tennessee in, for their defensive line alignment and their linebacker preparation and the way that they had planned to try and defend Army's option attack, it looked like they had not had much time to prepare as if, I don't know if you guys knew this, they had just scheduled the game, what, two months ago? 
Like this was a late- two months is enough time. I'm you know what I heard that excuse so much during the game. We talked about it in Slack. You've known you were playing an option team for two months. Two okay. months is enough time. Teams prepare for optioned offenses with a bye week in the middle of the regular season. Two months is enough time. Okay, you just didn't do a good job. And- so is that what it was? Was it two months? All right. Well, I'll, I'll get the date on this uh, real quick, but also it looked like the middle Tennessee defenders uh, did not want to be in that game because the second that you got one <laughs> cut block, you're walking over limping to the sideline. And it's something that we talk about a lot with uh, those kind of games where it's okay. So it was scheduled. Ooh, it's just scheduled August 10th. Okay. Yeah. Now, so, um, now you've got, yeah, see, that's, okay. that's different. Less, but still. less than a um, month was how much time Middle Tennessee had knowing that they were going to be playing. But anyway, also, Middle Tennessee did not look like it wanted to be there in Mikey Stadium in uh, West Point, New York, because every single time you got a questionable cut block or maybe rolled up on, you were like, ooh, get me out. Get me out. No, I'm, I'm going to limp to the sideline real quick. We're going to get somebody else in. And then, even on top of that, the ball security from the Middle Tennessee offense. So, like, we've talked about the defense, how defensively aligned it was clear that they were, um, A, not not in a great place to try and stop the option to begin with. Then after halftime, are there going to be halftime adjustments? No, there are not halftime adjustments. Uh, We're just going to keep doing the same thing. The players looks like they didn't want to be there. And then offensively, very, very sloppy with it, given Army short fields, turning the ball over, even when you had scoring opportunities. Uh, just a, a woeful performance. And the icing on the cake was the clock management at the end of the first half Ooh. when you're in scoring position, needing like any kind of life, needing just something in the game. You've got two timeouts. And they just let that sucker just run out. And that possession ended, what, inside the 10-yard line? Yeah. Like, there were maybe 15 seconds left when you could have called timeout. It was third there down. There was like 42 seconds left like when they should have when they should have called yeah. the first timeout. Like, it was it was just, like, kind of insane. And this is, this is supposed to be a veteran coach. Um, yeah, it was pretty inexcusable. Yeah, see, so that, that's, that's what was so confusing to me is because it's like, okay, in this year, with everything that's going on, we're going to see some things in games where it's like, all right, that's clearly a result of the fact that there was there was not as much practice time, there wasn't as much prep time, and it's going to look bad, but you're going to understand it. That was not something that I think you needed spring practice to know <laughs> that, oh, the, the second quarter lasts 15 minutes just like the first one, and then it's halftime. Oh, and these timeouts don't go to the second half. I mean, Rick Stockstill has been the head coach at Middle Tennessee since 2006. This is his 15th <laughs> yeah, He's like the longest tenured coach outside of Kirk Ferentz in the country or something crazy. So either something was going on with the clocks in that stadium where Middle Tennessee thought it had a lot more time than it did, or somebody was completely asleep at the wheel, or or Rick Stock still looked at his team and said, yeah, they don't want to be here. <laughs> so I don't know. Whatever the answer was, wasn't good. i tell you what. I, I, first week, we're all getting out the kinks. We're all a little bit rusty. There was a lot that I overlooked in this matchup. It was 
newly scheduled. You're also contrasting the Army option offense with the Tony Franklin offense on the other side, which right. isn't exactly like your ideal um, military offense counterpart. And As in they, they spend no time on the field. Right. With, right. There's like three, versus like, Army, <laughs> which is going to spend all of the time on the field. Uh, and, and, I, and um, you know, Asher O'Hara, fi- fine player. He's a fine player. But, I mean, <laughs> there was nothing, nothing, nothing about that offense. When that first um, fumble hit in the opening drive, I, I, there was a sinking feeling in my stomach. Like this is, this is going to go, this is going to go South quick here. And sure enough, like that drive sent a message and MTSU just never, they never had a shot after that. I held on until the end of the first half. And then at that clock mismanagement, I said, okay, cause that, that could have been 21 seven, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, they're still in the game to start the second half. The the plus three and a half is still very much. It's not likely, but it's there. And then, yeah, when that happened, it was just. But like, at what point okay. in the game? At what point in the game did MTSU show any inclination, like any any even like desire, any like Lieutenant lukewarm any feelings <laughs> that they might be interested in trying to stop this option offense? None. Not Do you guys one. realize no they point. didn't? The whole game. Yeah. The whole game. No, here this is yeah. this is the army drive chart. Ready? Touchdown. Touchdown. <laughs> touchdown. <laughs> touchdown. <laughs> touchdown. End of game. <laughs> oh man. Not that once. That includes a nineteen play, ninety-nine yard drive. Yeah. No yeah, wonder. Yeah. <laughs> they had two nineteen play drives. <laughs> so Dude, is army back is army back let's I said the other side of it like obviously this is a performance that you know the what what's the cliche like oh you burn the tape you know you don't even look at it or whatever uh from the army side of it army's gonna have a strange season very very strange season uh does this make them like a an interesting team to watch when they do play? Well, I mean, they're I, always interesting to watch. I, I think they answered my like um, the the questions I was posing to the pod about like is a service academy at an advantage or a disadvantage through the quarantine? Like this this strikes me as perhaps they are well equipped to handle the quarantine life. Uh, I, early, early. They want to slip out that Navy line. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm, I'm reconsider. I mean, I'm kind of <laughs> happy I didn't lock up BYU after watching yeah. that game today. <laughs> yeah, I am still sticking to my BYU. I still believe that Kalani Sataki is going to deliver on an under, and I believe that they are going to deliver on a hard-nosed, hard-fought game. Yeah, I, I will say for BYU, just based on what I've seen of that program from Bronco to Kalani, that's not a program that strikes me as the one that's going to you know, be like, oh, screw this, after they get their legs dove into a few times, they're just going to get angrier and start doing it back. So I, I feel like BYU I can count on to have a little more fight than MTSU did defensively. Um, okay, so... <laughs> want to start for Thursday night before we get out of here with UAB because UAB plays Thursday night 
against Miami. Is it going to be a dark day for the proud program, the Miami Hurricanes? UAB, um, you know, the the interesting headline coming out of this and, and the, you know, you mentioned the broadcast. Like when we've got a little nugget that's going to pop out from the game notes, you know that it's going to be part of the conversation because it's not like we've got a long list of uh, NFL draft prospects in some of these week one games. It's not like we've got a long list of like commonly held storylines. So since UAB was brought back from the dead, they have not lost a single home game. How about that? If you're Bill Clark, you're like, no, I am not going to leave for another job. I'm going to stick with this program and donors. If you give to me, I promise you, I am never, ever going to lose again at home. And that man is 19-0 and 0 since they've come back <laughs> at home. Central Arkansas, uh, the final score honestly makes it look a little bit closer than it was. And we, we mentioned that you know, they were in that first game against Austin P. They play here against UAB. They are going to be playing against North Dakota State. They've got oh boy, they play Louisiana later this year. They've got an Arkansas State date on uh, the calendar as well. So they'll be facing Blake Anderson. Uh, but for UAB, this was uh, I I thought a pretty solid performance. Uh, what were our takeaways from the Blazers? And as you spin it ahead to the Hurricanes on Thursday night, you know what what kind of uh, what kind of credit or factor are you given to UAB to uh, to make that an interesting game? I mean, yeah, like you said, the final score was not really how this game was because Central Arkansas had two touchdowns in the final six minutes to make it a 10-point game. But if you look at like the overall stats, UAB just dominated this game for the most part. And they had three turnovers too, which helped keep it look closer than it really was. But as far as beating Miami, I mean... FIU beat Miami last year. I can't rule out that UAB is going to do it because UAB is a better program than FIU is right now. That said, I don't think beating Central Arkansas like that is going to be like, oh, yeah, this is a team that's going to move on to beat Miami. I think it's a very good win. UAB is a good team. But I I think Miami's probably safe. I say they win 75% of the time, but 25%, that's, that's a decent chunk. Derek King had like six touchdowns today. In um, the Miami scrimmage. Oh, you've so. got Miami scrimmage buzz. <laughs> We're like- oh, wrong button. <laughs> hey, it's late. First week for buzz. Camp, camp buzz. Uh, yeah. So you know, I I think I still think it's a tricky first game. So I'm, I'm I'm not picking a loss, but I just think. This, this is a tricky first game. The final was for UAB Central Arkansas was, uh, what was it? 42 to 32 or something? 45, 30. Yeah. But uh, among those 35 points from Central Arkansas, they had a scoop and score to end the first half. They had an interception return inside the five that they converted on a touchdown. They had another like maybe 10 or 15 yard drive. Um, the UAB defense is still stout, just like it's been. Um, at least look relative, you know, it's just, it's, they haven't played anybody. I mean, central Arkansas is a good FCS team, but they haven't played anybody, but I, I would expect this still to be a, a challenge for my, a, a good measuring stick. Let's put it that way for Miami's offense, which needs to be certainly a lot better. Yeah. I'm going to be looking in the trenches 
you know, if Miami's offensive line is forcing Derek King to break pocket and scramble when it's not on schedule, then that is absolutely a concern when you're going to be going into a schedule that's going to have you, uh, what you're going to be going up against Florida state. Like you're going to be going up against, uh, like some very, very, you're going to be going up against Pitt. You're going to be going up against some very, very good defensive lines in the ACC. So if they can't contain against UAB, then maybe I'm going to be concerned again. You know, UAB conference USA team, Miami has lost its last two games against conference USA opponents. You know, just don't, don't overlook the Blazers. Uh, Speaking of the Conference USA, Southern Miss is in a little bit of a backsliding position right now. This is a program that under Jay Hobson, who had came over, I believe, from Alcorn State, they got off to a strong start in 2019. And over the last half of the season, things just kind of got out of hand. Uh, To lose to South Alabama when they were a double-digit favorite, reflects to me the fact that while the numbers of the personnel and the program in general churn out the kind of result that has you getting that two-touchdown um, that two-touchdown spread from the odds makers, to lose in this way to South Alabama says that, man, something ain't right right now for the Golden Eagles. So South Alabama, again, Good headline for the Sun Belt, but also Southern Miss, a very concerning result for Conference USA. Barton, what did you think about? Did you get your eyes much on uh, the mothership CBS Sports Network with the uh, the Thursday night action? I did. That game was fun. I mean, very South fun. Alabama was fun. Um, those receivers, Jalen Tolbert, Jalen Wayne, and Kawan Baker were like awesome. Like every time South Alabama and was Desmond Trotter, threw downfield. It was like, I feel good about this. I like where this is going. And it was, uh, you know, the Baker kid was making plays after the catch. Jalen Tolbert looks like, like, like all the way legit. Um, and yet I, I do kind of have a hunch that this, this, I, I'm not like ready to pick, you know, South Alabama to just sort of start, you know, setting college football on fire. I just think that was a nice, nice opening night performance. Um, they're kind of due for that. This is, you know, uh, I, I, they didn't have a great season last year. Remember that was a team almost beat Nebraska in week one too. Like they, they had good moments last year. Um, but I, I just like where their skill talent is. I, I, but I still like, I didn't think up front they were necessarily anything overly impressive. And so I still think, you know, as the year progresses, they, they, they might just be average, but they got playmakers. I, I like their players on the perimeter for sure. Yeah, they just look like readier for the game. I think like than Southern missed it. They 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 seemed more prepared, especially because like you mentioned, South Alabama just kind of chucking deep, and you felt good every time that they did it because Southern Miss's secondary just seemed to be getting lost in its coverages and what it was supposed to be doing. Because like they were just South Alabama receivers just standing there with nobody within five yards of them sometimes on jump balls. So. It's not to take away from anything South Alabama did because that was a legit win and they were legit the best team in that game from start to finish. They were better prepared. They had a better idea of what they were trying to do than Southern Miss and they just took it straight to them. And on the Southern Miss side, it's like 
there wasn't a whole lot you could take away from that game feeling good about going forward for the season right now. Now, again, with this season, it wouldn't shock me if teams like we see it in a regular season with teams have spring practice and plenty of time to prepare. Sometimes a team looks horrible in the first game of the season and then completely gets its stuff together the next week and goes out and plays the way it's supposed to. So we can't jump to conclusions based on it, but just not if you're a Southern Miss fan and you were watching that on Thursday night, you are probably not very optimistic for the rest of the season right now. Uh, point of correction, Jay Hobson showed up in 2016, so he has been there for a minute. But, um, you know, you lose to Western Kentucky 28-10. You lose to FAU 34-17. You lose in the bowl game 30-13. to Things have, uh, you know, things things just haven't really been going well for you after, uh, after a decent start and after expectations that you would be competing for potential spot in the conference USA championship game. Uh, anything else from the opening weekend that, uh, that caught y'all's attention. Shout out to my beloved UTEP miners for starting off the season one and oh, with a big win against Steven Austin on Saturday night. Stone cold blew a first half lead ended mm-hmm. up. Yeah. They ended up giving it away. I saw that too many celebratory beers in the second quarter. Too, too many Coors Lights, which is uh, <laughs> obviously the uh, the perfect way to press pause, hit reset, and uh, it's it's literally made to chill. Barton, any thoughts? On Coors Light? No, not on Coors Light. <laughs> I'm going to have a Coors Light in a minute here. Uh no, I, I don't even. I, I y'all are breaking up on me. My 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 current setup at the the midnight hour is is not ideal for my internet. So I, I didn't even hear what somebody else had said. All right, we so, talked a lot of crap. <laughs> <laughs> what we can do is, uh, can we send you an Ethernet cable? Well, the pro. The problem is where my, the reason my internet is bad right now is because my internet hookup is in my bedroom right. where my pregnant wife is feeding my, my two month old baby and my office has become a nursery. And so I'm, I'm a man without a home, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll, do let's, about it. we'll, we'll run, I'll send a hundred foot ethernet cord. And you can okay. run it outside. Yeah, that the, might work. You can yeah. run it outside the house, outside the window. That might work. And run it in. <laughs> well, listen, there were there were no audio issues on this end. So. All right, good. I was yeah. worried about that. No, you're good on that. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. This is Luis Miguel Echegaray with CBS Sports. Football, soccer, calcio, football, it doesn't matter what you call it. This is the world's game and we want you to be part of the family. 
subscribe to Que Golazo, a daily soccer podcast from CBS Sports, bringing you the latest news, analysis, commentary, and an overall celebration of the beautiful game. From the Champions League to the big leagues in Europe, US stories, and the Americas, join us every weekday as our team gives you your daily soccer dose. Look up for our show every morning and subscribe to Que Golazo on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Now get ready to yell, Que Golazo!